This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Good evening to everybody. Welcome to uh, Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. What a wonderful day it is. Um, as always, I'm, I, I'm always fascinated, looking forward to, to be in your company as we continue to engage uh, with a number of complex issues. Uh, and I would often, often insist that it's, it's imperative that we continue to uh, push the boundaries on innovation, put the boundaries around creativity. Um, uh, for those remain the currency which we can we, we, we need to trade in. Before we get into the business of today, let me pay homage to my colleagues. Uh, I want to say thank uh, to Tabo, uh, Sasha, and of course Benjiki for keeping you guys uh, informed and hopefully entertained. I was thoroughly entertained by the engagements uh, or kind of uh, issues that they discussed. If you missed our conversations last uh, last week, um, I implore you to visit our website and download the podcast. Um, it is fairly easy process. Go to www.highfm.com and look and look at uh, Beyond Governance podcast download and uh, tell me what you thought. I mean, besides, this is much. It's not my show. It is is our show. It is your show in particular. I'm simply a messenger. I I act as a conjoint uh, to a point where I bring in all sorts of uh, interesting people. Talking of interesting people, I can't wait to, to share uh, with you who I have uh, in studio tonight, uh, and I'm sure most of you can resonate with him. But but for now, let's just uh, get to, you know, the the other stories. Um, and as as of now, my employer to work to to weigh in on our conversation, as I'll be introducing uh, you to my very special guest uh, tonight. Uh, I welcome to see your your WhatsApp, your Twitters, and your emails. Uh, then uh, by now, I'm sure the drill is fairly straightforward. Our SM line is three four five four nine. The Twitter is uh, handle is at high FM. Um, I think you know in in trying to paint a picture before I really get to. Um, the kind of uh, issues that we'll be talking about tonight, uh, which which are mainly located in the you know the Sona debate, the current political landscape, as it were, um, there are certain things that are so critical that any other person in South Africa uh, should be focusing their energies and times around, and that is how to get the economy growing. We're currently sitting at 1.5. Uh, that is a projection of, of economic growth in, 20, in 2018. Um, and that's not good enough. We need to uh, get to a point where we live up to the ideals or ex- expectations of NDP, which is projecting about 5%, um, you know, um, for us to look at, um, to fund all these other competing priorities. The status of our SOEs are in a, in a, in a dismal uh, status, and, and we need to get them, you know, because these are critical uh, institutions of government that uh, address, you know, uh, the, 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 the a number of infrastructural challenges, which in, in return, you know, create that invest, investment uh, criteria or investment um, uh, uh, confidence, so to speak. Uh, and we're quite happy to see that, um, you know, uh, Selama Posa has been you know, elected and opposed. Thanks God, um, he's now the, the new sheriff in town. And that comes from a business point of view. There are a lot of things uh, that needs to happen uh, in, in as far as, as getting his ducks in a row, uh, managing the competing priorities, uh, and, and particularly from, from a financial point of view. In, in, in really making sense of this, rather, I know I've been you know, pretty much everywhere, uh, the idea was just to shed light in terms of what are the 
numerous competing priorities and some of the contextual issues which business um, and, and government and let alone labor have to find themselves around um, in, in terms of making sure that we are able to address these, these, these pertinent issues uh, in as far as I'm concerned. Uh, tonight, uh, I've got a I've got a privilege. I'm actually honored to host Arnold uh, Basbari, uh, uh, who's a, a former group uh, CEO at, at, at um, Fetcher. He's currently the non-director at uh, Kalon Venture Partners. He's a chairperson at Africa Tekun. He's a director and consultant to many companies. He's a former Jewish businessman of the year, a former um, a Jewish lifetime achiever, a former insurance man. Of, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, for, for, for he is an amazing uh, gentleman who has done so much. And I thought it, 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 he's better positioned because the, 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 the kind of accolades he has amassed over the years begin to push him in a, in a, in a very... Uh, 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 important position in a society because there's a lot of wisdom. Uh, I want to pick his brain in terms of really getting a sense in the context of Sona. Um, having said that, let me take this opportunity to welcome him. Arnold, welcome and good evening to all and welcome to Beyond Governance. Thank you very much, Nimrod, and thanks for inviting me onto your program. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure. I wouldn't miss this. You can imagine how you know how long how, how long I've been bothering you. <laughs> you say, well, I'm here. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Um, Arnold, um, maybe just a quick um, uh, overview uh, of of what your observations are. I know we want to talk about the the real meat, the substance around Sona, but I mean the tax and decorum. What what a breath of fresh air! It's it's quite amazing, Nimrod. Um, uh, and, and maybe just to say that I've known Sir Ramaphosa for a long time in different respects. I've always known him as a very good negotiator and facilitator, but I'd say his leadership capabilities in what he's achieved in the very short time since becoming uh, president of the ANC and now president of the country uh, has been quite remarkable. Uh, the way he dealt with the departure of the former president was superb, really done very well indeed. The way he handled the Sona address, the way he's handled things subsequent to that shows that he's a man of the people. He's got a good understanding of what needs to be done. And what was particularly important, he wants it to be an inclusive, collaborative effect. He's not running on his own path. He wants everyone, including the opposition parties and the other members of the alliance, to be part of effectively turning the country around. Thank you very much for that um, um, uh, insight and, and talking, uh, you know, the, 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 the inclusive nature or how he promotes inclusivity uh, gets us to, to talk about the social compact that he's spoken about, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, because that's quite an important um, issue for us to move forward as a country that mm-hmm. you bring labor, you yeah. bring business, yeah. you bring civil society. Yeah. Um, and in, in doing that, what are the things that, you know, uh, w- what would be the glue that keeps all this together well well in any organization if there's a common vision within the organization and the same applies uh, to a country if there is a common vision among the the leaders in different spheres of the country and they can 
make or encourage or enable the populace to buy into that vision, that is one thing that really creates a glue so that everyone, even though they have different perspectives, are really moving and working towards a similar objective. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, without a proper vision, um, without a clear line of sight or clear direction in terms of where the country needs to mm-hmm. be in relation to the economy, um, we, we, we lost. And, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. My sense is that he's really given us that global picture that yeah. in as much as we could be divided ideologically and otherwise, the city does a lot of stuff that brings us together. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the narrative around inclusivity from time to time uh, begins to speak to what you just said. Um, and thanks for that observation, um, Arnold. But moving forward, let's look at the issue around the, the substance oh, out of the sauna. Let's, let's really get our teeth in the substance. What stood out for you? Because, I mean, what stood out for you may not have stood out for me, but from where you're sitting, what are the things that uh, resonate with you uh, which you would like to see us, you know, deliberating on moving forward? For an example, the budget. Uh, you know? Okay, and if I might, I'll, let me sure. just comment on the sauna first to answer the first part of your question, um, uh, because the budget obviously wasn't part of the sauna, but that's the next big thing Absolutely. that's going to happen tomorrow. But I think his sauna was more of a visionary nature rather than one of detail, which maybe is what we've seen in the past number of years. And and in particular, the speech provided encouraging signals in terms of a far stronger focus on things like investment and economic growth than would have been the case before. But at the same time, there was a balance with the need to ensure that approaches would be taken to support job creation and transformation. So at a high level, that's what he tried to achieve, in my opinion, with his SONA. But he also uh, listed a number of very important objectives, action steps, and commitments um, that we could all understand that would drive most probably uh, the action that he takes going forward uh, as far as the government and the country is concerned. And if you would like, I would just highlight yep. a couple of them. Sure. Uh, and some of them, let me say, are very business positive, very oriented towards investment and growth. But we've also got to bear in mind that he has got a large audience of people who have been marginalized and marginalized under the previous regime. And the question is, what can he do and what will he be able to do? And I'll comment on a couple of things also to make those people feel that he is giving them hope because they had hope before. I think their marginalization has been increased. So now he's got to show to them. So in addition to getting growth in the economy, because that creates jobs, he's also got to look after the needs of the people who are unemployed, and we have a very high above 25% level of unemployment, and that is a key feature of what he has got to try and achieve. So some of the things perhaps, and there are a lot I could go into, but maybe dealing with some of the things. Firstly, greater use, more efficient use of government resources. Um, he made the comment that he will reduce the size of the cabinet. We still have to see, and this is a big short-term question, we have to see what he does and who he puts into the cabinet. But he has said that government portfolios will be downsized and they'll make an effort to use and utilize public resources much more efficiently. 
He spoke about taking tough decisions to plug the fiscal gap, which we'll come to when we talk about the budget perhaps, and stabilizing South Africa's significant and very negative rising debt situation. He spoke about the importance of trying to restore state-owned enterprises to a position of health. He spoke about consultation, and this came through continuously in what he said, consultation in all aspects of, of what he was talking about, consultation with the stakeholders to review the funding model of SOEs because there's no doubt their debt is just too high and they don't have the ability to generate income at the stage to pay off the debt and grow the income and provide a positive return to the country. He spoke about the way they're going to change boards of state-owned enterprises and he's already taken steps in respect of SAA and Eskom very good steps to appoint the right people to the boards of these entities. Um, he spoke about the import- importance of dealing with unemployment and made reference to the Youth Unemployment Service, Service Initiative, which is being sponsored by big business, which will replace unemployed youth in paid internships in South Africa and is expected to create maybe a million internships over the next three years. And if we can achieve something like that, that will have a major impact on the way people at all levels of society see what he's trying to do. He has spoken about the land distribution policy, and maybe I should just dwell on this because there's been a lot of reference made to going ahead with land expropriation without compensation. Now, that at first blush can sound very alarmingly, very alarming, but in practice, I believe that Sir Ramaphosa will handle this very carefully. He will want to and possibly should give land particularly farmland, back to people to whom it was, to whom it was, it belongs and from whom it was taken just like that. But I think there's no way he's going to just confiscate land which belongs to people who have in fact paid for it. He said that before allocating land, he's going to see what municipal land is available because apparently there's a lot of land lying shallow that nobody is using. So before you get involved in land expropriation, rather see what land is available and can be used and can be used productively. He's spoken about before giving land to people to grow crops on the land, he'll want to ensure that they are able to grow the land, to develop crops, and in so doing not diminish food security. And it's also been said that his objective will be to grow the agricultural sector for the benefit of previously disadvantaged people. And again, he has made the point here too, that before taking decisions, he will consult with the various parties. So I think this will become an emotional point in the discourse in South Africa going forward, but I believe he will do his best to handle it in a fair but responsible and growth-oriented manner. Thank you very much uh, for sharing your thoughts and your take on some of the critical and pertinent points which the president raised uh, during the SONA debate. We're going to take a break and come back in a second as I want us to really go to some of the uh, issues that may not necessarily be, be, be palatable in terms of the social discourse, but that are critically important for us to move forward as a country. Let's take a break and come back. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. 
Welcome back. It is now 26th after 6 o'clock, and I'm joined in studio by, by Arnold Basberry, whom I have utmost respect for. Um, and before we into the break, he was giving us his download or his thought processes around um, the sonar, the texture of the sonar, some of the issues that were raised by the president and so on and so forth. And and maybe just to get our thoughts in a, in a much more succinct uh, way, uh, what comes to mind is the 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 importance of the social compact, mm-hmm. because we are in a state where there are often divergent views on how to achieve certain objective. Uh, say, for an example, land uh, distribution, you know, a land compensation and stuff like that. In my in my mind, we we got to get to a point where. Um, Business in particular rally behind the long term goal of land of of land distribution. I don't want to take. I want to get your view because ultimately uh, there's got to be some hard decisions uh, that needs to be taken. And but for for anybody to take hard decisions, they need to buy into the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and buying into the bigger picture starts with some of the consultation process that he he's, he's talking about. I just want to take your, your view from a business uh, point of view and how whether this augurs well with general sentiments in your own observation. Okay, so let me try and make a couple of comments. Um, I've, I think the first point is in his sona, he made reference to the fact that he was going to create a number of advisory committees um, uh, have a number of uh, conferences uh, and generally engage with all the interested parties. And I think one of his objectives is to give everyone an opportunity to have their say, gather the information, and then at the end of the day, what a true leader needs to do, take the decision, which with his closest team, he believes is in the best interest of the country. Just for example, he's appointing a presidential economic advisory council, which will draw on expertise of labor, business, civil society, and also academia. And they'll all have an opportunity to give input. So it's as though he is not coming forward with preconceived ideas that this is the way he wants to do it. He wants to hear from people. He's talking about holding a job summit within the next few months. And obviously, therefore, the tra- the, thereby the trade union movement will have a lot to say in that regard. He's talking about launching the Youth Employment Service Initiative, which I spoke about just now, which is being funded by big business. And he'll have a, d- a debate about how to make sure that this works and this is effective. And this, I might just say, is where business, as part of their commitment to what we're trying to achieve in the country, is very happy to come forward. To say, they might say, we don't need youth internship, but they believe that it's in the interest of the company to have it, in their interest, in the interest of the growth of people, reduction of unemployment, and the growth of the economy. So that's the sort of thing that he is doing, which he has said he will do also in relation to land redistribution. I'm sure he'll consult very widely, but at the end of the day, he'll take decisions. In some cases, they'll be tough decisions, but he's got the knowledge and understanding, and he knows what he needs to do for the benefit of the country.
Thank you very much for that insight, um, 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 Arnold. But perhaps maybe let's just uh, probe a little bit on on the conception of the Presidential Economic Council, which comprises of government, labor, business, and civil society organizations, including academia, to say um, we have the moral and political obligation to find each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, you know, it, so that we're able to promote what is in the best interest of the country. Having said that, um, how how does this compare with previous summits? Because this country has never been short of summits. It has never been short of conversations. Um, other than just replacing an individual uh, who happens to be still in this particular context. Um, you know, somebody listened to the show and said, but Nimrod, I mean, how many summits have we had? How many commissions have we had? And none of these things have really uh, yielded any tangible results. In your view, what is that needs to be done differently uh, um, to ensure that we don't repeat the same? Uh, because personally, I don't think uh, yes, Zuma is gone, but but you know, um, he's just an individual. Ultimately, it's about ideology, it's about policy uh, mm. issues that are concrete, and that above all, it is about action. Okay, so Nimrod, there's there's a saying which may apply here, and that is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you see the way that Sir Ramaphosa started going around his business, going about his business, he's embracing all of the role players that need to participate and contribute. Okay? Um, and unfortunately, maybe the last eight years or so, um, government and business, which maybe were close several years before, started distrusting one another, started talking past one another, and never engaged. So when there was a summit, it was just one party talking to the other and the other party not really listening or not wanting to listen. And then things developed where perhaps the same thing happened with the trade unions, where they were close to the government, and in recent years one would strongly question whether that was the case. So I think what can achieve success is the creation of the vision, the um, creation of the view that I'm going to listen to what the next person says and do my best to take all the views into account, but also with the knowledge that at the end of the day, decisions have to be taken. And I'll come back again to saying that he's got the knowledge, the experience, and the ability with his close team to know what the best decisions should be. No, great stuff, um, Arnold, for, for that insight as well. Um, because what I'm also picking up from what you're saying is the, the, the salient or the importance part of trust and building trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, this kind of conversation, it's all about, folks, let's, let's, you know, let's put the differences behind. Yeah. Uh, bring me in. Let me take in my, in, in, into my confidence so that we, we are able to work, you know, this thing together. Um, because the, the kind of disconnect that we've seen between government and labor and, and between labor and civil society organizations, even academia, it has been that of, of, of erosion of trust, you know, which, which we can only uh, build a constructive engagement or let alone a social compact on the basis of trust mm-hmm. that uh, business is not there just to rip everybody off. Uh, a government is not there just to demand. Labor is not there just to demand. But there are trade-offs that, on a basis of the bigger, uh, bigger picture, the vision that you've spoken about, we can all we can all work together. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Nimrod. Absolutely. Uh, uh, perhaps maybe one of the issues that perhaps we could just get a bit of a, a sense around a restructuring of the 
uh, SOE mandates. We know the strategic role of SOEs. Uh, and, and again, um, and I've always maintained in, in, in other conversations that changing, changing the board, yes, it's one important part, you know, uh, but, you, you know, it's not good enough, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to fundamentally transform the entity. Uh, because you can get, you know, Arnold, you know, uh, biggest brains, but if Arnold is operating in an environment mm-hmm. um, that is not enabled via the funding model, let alone, let alone the the legislative framework which governs that entity, Arnold is not going to do much. Mm-hmm. So we now need to have a, a deeper understanding yeah. uh, of, of how the SOEs are constructed and the funding model. Mm-hmm. So... Perhaps, and that's a multifaceted uh, issue, perhaps the SOEs up until now felt they could borrow their way out of any problems or issues they had and, uh, and that there was a, a relatively unlimited source of funding or guarantees that they could get from the government to enable them to develop their, their business plans. Um, that's the one point, but that is also, unfortunately, a totally incorrect assumption. There's no way any organization can borrow their way out of a difficulty. You have to generate income, which exceeds your expenditure. You can borrow in the short to medium term to help you over a problem or to help you raise capital or go into capital expenditure to grow the business. But at the end of the day, you've got to earn more money than you spend. Now, without being critical, a lot of people believe that the boards who have been in charge of the SOEs up to now have probably not realized that principle. And so the first thing that has recently been done has been to start appointing Boards of people who've been there, they've done that, they've had the experience, they understand the re- relevant sector, but they also know what makes an organization work. Okay, so that's one critical feature. It's not something that can be dealt with overnight. It's an ongoing process, but you've got to take the first step to get to where you want to be. Also, I think Soramaposa might have referred to partnerships, um, so one way of changing the funding model is by possibly bringing in private organizations who instead of lending money might be prepared to take equity uh, in the right way, in the right manner, in one or other of the state-owned enterprises if they see it in their advantage. And just looking at SAA, in the last number of years, uh, foreign airline organizations uh, had expressed interest when SAA was doing very much better in taking a stake in SAA and achieving synergies. I don't know if that is available to us at the moment, but that's certainly another way of changing the funding model. Okay. And then it's just up to the boards. And once you want a new board, uh, the management themselves, the employers, they get a new excitement, a new interest. And if you can just create a bit of a winning culture in the organization, it's an amazing what impact that can have on the approach, the attitude, the service to customers and the results of the organization. I love your last point. How do we, how do we create a winning culture? Mm-hmm. And and winning culture obviously it's 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 a very long process. Sure. And which is underpinned by trade offs. Yeah. You know, are we prepared to forego 
immediate benefits with a view to say we're ripping off um, the benefits in more long term. Yeah. And, and that also calls upon the, the, the engagement of the labor, because which is one critical stakeholder, yeah. engagement of the private sector. Um, and, and again, uh, let me just flag on the partnership um, as part of a possible uh, program of action that he might include by way of trying to limit um, SOE liabilities. Uh, because we know that I mean, currently, as most OECs are, 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 are in a financial mess, so to speak. Um, based on his history as a skillful negotiator, um, how important would that be? Because, um, you know, the swear word um, uh, uh, in, 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 a, in a normal, um, you know, uh, labor narrative it's privatization. You know, mm. it's almost like a swear word. You mm-hmm. talk about private equity, yeah. you talk about privatization. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the combination, I mean, we have had successful uh, private-public partnership models out yeah. there, which in this particular sense, it just might be useful. Um, your, your take on that. Okay, so I think all of these are possibilities which need to be explored. Uh, if you take just Eskim, for example, a new board has been appointed, very competent people. Um, I'm sure what they, they've appointed a new chief executive. Again, what they would be endeavoring to do would be to create a medium to long-term vision of Eskim and where it's going to go. Uh, get buy into that from the executives, the management, and then the employees of Eskim. Once you've got buy into a vision, as I was saying before, in relation to the country, they say, okay, what are the issues that we've got to deal with? And their big debt and guarantees are one of the biggest. Uh, what are the opportunities for us? Where do we see solutions? Who do we need to engage in our process? And in doing this, uh, for sure, they'll engage all of the stakeholders and the trade unions and employees will play a big role in that. Eskom board can never achieve their objectives without the buy-in and the buy-in to and the input from uh, all of their stakeholders, including the employees, that is their trade unions. And I'm sure they'll be working with them and engaging them and saying to them, if we succeed, we all succeed together. And this is how we can share the pot, how we can all benefit. If we don't succeed, none of us will succeed. I couldn't agree with you more there, um, 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 Arnold. Uh, maybe just before we take um, another break, this is something that I want us to, to, to reflect on as part of the broader narrative that came from the dishonor itself. That is a reconfiguration of the cabinet uh, because that has a positive spin-off insofar as um, you know, um, you know, uh, revenues um, that could be put aside for other important uh, 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 business ventures out there. But one might ask and say, "Listen, you know, it is not so much about the size. The size was not properly employed. Um, there was a proper rationale at the time to have this big, uh, you know, uh, uh, ministries because you wanted to, you know, um, uh, ensure greater access." That's another, you know, perspective. You know, um, it was just that the model was not properly executed. So think about it. Let's 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 take, let's go. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now twelve. It is now fifteen to seven o'clock, and I'm joined in studio by Arnold Basarabi, who is a, a phenomenal individual. Uh, in as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure most of you guys will concur with me. Um, indeed, uh, before we went to the break, what I've asked um, Arnold um, is is the the whole notion of fruitless and workflex expenditure. 
as it relates to the bloated, you know, uh, public servants, uh, particularly within the ministry, um, there, there are two narratives. One may argue that um, this has been an absolute uh, wasteful, uh, fruitless expenditure because these ministers were not earning value. The other, uh, uh, on the other side, one could say, look, um, you know, the model was not properly implemented. Uh, I want to hear your, your, your thoughts on that. Okay, so um, perhaps just let me make a comment in relation to how the SOEs and other government, semi-government entities could perform much better is in relation to the area of wasteful expenditure. A lot has been said about it. A number of figures have been banding around. But I recalled hearing a couple of months ago, and it may have been Proven Gordon who estimated that if you look just at municipalities in South Africa, their wasteless, wasteful and irregular expenditure amounted to some 25 billion rand per annum. So if you just were to divide that by half, then that could pay for, again, what is now estimated to be the cost of uh, free tertiary education for the first-year students uh, with family incomes below 350,000 rand. And that's not by doing anything different other than cutting out wasteful expenditure. If you take and add to that the suggested or anticipated estimated wasteful expenditure of all the SOEs, a figure that has been banded around is of the order of 40 billion rand. Now, that is close to the total budget deficit which we've experienced in the last year. So merely by having the right ministers who ensure that they know their job, they know the job of the entities which fall under their portfolios and see that they do their job effectively, the the country's finances could over a few years be in a much stronger position. And that's not incredible rocket science. It's not just simple like waving a wand, but it is certainly doable with the right attitude and the right approach. Coming to the number of ministers and the ministers, um, and again, Sir Ramaphosa said he's certainly going to reduce the size of his cabinet. I'm not aware that he's mentioned a particular figure, and he has said he's not going to rush into it. He's going to take his own time in arriving at his answers, again, after consulting with various parties. But I think at the moment we've got about 35 cabinet ministers um, uh, and a number, many more than that, of deputy ministers. Now, just as a matter of interest, my understanding is the cost, the direct cost of a cabinet minister and a deputy minister is between four and five million rand a year. In the totality of our country's expenses, that's not a lot, but every little bit adds up. And in relation to one ministry, if you add the support staff, it can become a big thing. If you then take the way they spend their money uh, on trips, on conferences, on whatever it may be, it's important to to take to get focus on the expenditure. But the more important thing, as you said, is to have the right people in the right seats on the cabinet bus. Who Cyril is going to choose in those areas is anyone's guess. Um, I suspect, and it has been stated, so this isn't just my view, it has been stated and a number of ministers have been named who have been perceived to have been unsuccessful, unproductive in their positions. It's, it's almost certain that many of them will go. 
He might bring in some previous cabinet ministers or people in other important positions uh, to fill the cabinet. But I suspect he'll come up with cabinet ministers who are firstly uncorrupt, understand their position and are fully committed to the vision he creates in turning the, com- the country around. I think what I'm going to take from, from your last point that you just said, Arnold, is the significance of meritocracy um, yeah. as it relates to appointment of the ministers. Yeah. Because that is the only way in which, first and foremost, you, you are likely to address a host of issues uh, which are more management uh, uh, by, by, by simply appointing you know, capable, uh, willing uh, ministers. Because we have... We have Realized that, um, you know, in a previous dispensation, majority or some of them were not necessarily performing. Um, I want to put you on a spot based on your understanding in terms of who would you think, um, again, again, on a base of, of what, what, you know, everybody's talking about. They've, they've been taunted around, you know, around strategic minister or ministry, uh, you know, um, again, to, to get to a point where we, we're talking fit for purpose. Thank what are God. those ministries? And who would you want to see serving in those ministries? Well, you were talking about the state-owned enterprises, which is probably the biggest challenge facing the country at the moment. Um, a possibility is to bring Pravin Gordon back into the cabinet, not in the position of Minister of Finance. Maybe he's being tired of being fired from his job too often. <laughs> uh, but, but as Minister of Public Enterprises... And I think he would be an ideal person in almost any position, but certainly in that position, because that would also give Soramaposa the opportunity to put someone else of his choosing in perhaps the position of Minister of Finance if he decides to move uh, Malusi Gigaba to another portfolio. Okay, so we talk about you. I mean, Pravin Goran as a as a possible candidate uh, for public enterprise. Mm-hmm. Who else? Um, what about energy? What about education? What about communication mm-hmm. um, and social development? Yeah. Okay. So, and and again, uh, one can only speculate. And Absolutely. Guess. I mean, and, it's, it's, and I certainly don't know all of the people who even would be the right people, but it has been suggested that for energy. Someone like Senzo Mchunu, uh, who's a leading member of the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal, or Dikaledi Makadzi, uh, depending on exactly what happens in other portfolios, could be very good in energy. And they, I believe, are people who are reasonably supportive of Cyril and people on whom he could, uh, he could rely. Um, if there were a change in economic development, Someone like Inuk Gorongwani from uh, the Eastern Cape mm-hmm. uh, could be a good person in that area. Um, there are other good people also, but he could be pretty good in that area. I think in communications, which is a very important thing, someone like Jackson Mtembu, who's been the spokesperson for the ANC, the chief whip of the ANC in Parliament, and I think has done an exceptionally good job, he could be an ideal person for that position. But I think it's early days, and we have to see how it's going to develop. But I think there are possibly a couple of key short- to medium-term issues facing the country at the moment. In addition to the budget speech tomorrow, Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to what particularly Moody's rating rating agency uh, decides – 
coming out of the budget speech because they have said they will express a view thereafter. The, the watching us like hawks, as it were. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, not like the hawks as we know <laughs> them, but like hawks. And and then who is going to appoint to his cabinet and what's he going to do? The, all of that will send a significant signal to people within and outside South Africa about the direction he wants to take the country. Fantastic, fantastic. Perhaps my last point, or second last point, is the, 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 the 50 billion rand uh, budget deficit, uh, which somehow we're going to find money, um, you know, via taxation, uh, personal or corporate, uh, or borrowing, whatever the, whatever the mechanic. Um, y- your, your thoughts around what, what is probably at the disposal of whether it's Malusi or God knows who, as a ministry, where are we likely to find the money to plug on this 50 billion rand? Okay. Well, firstly, I think it seems clear that Malusi Gagaba will deliver the budget speech tomorrow as the Minister of Finance. Um, where we find you know, the 50 billion rand deficit, if that's actually what it's finally confirmed to be, uh, could be from a number of sources. Most people are talking about whereas previously uh, increasing VAT was a no-go in South Africa. Now it's being seen more and more as a likely possibility. And of the 50 billion rand, maybe 20 billion rand could be uh, secured by increasing that maybe by 1%. In addition to that, there will be other tax increases, uh, the, the introduction of the sugar tax, which will give a small amount. Uh, the fuel levy may go up. Uh, the normal sin taxes uh, will for sure be increased. The government will get maybe 10 billion rand by means of fiscal drag. All of that will go some way towards bridging the gap. And then the savings that the government is able to achieve in their expenditure will hopefully make up the balance. Well, I couldn't agree. With, I can only just uh, hope for the better that uh, we, we're going to get to a point where, um, you know, we, we're not talking, you know, uh, fiscal deficit. We're talking surplus. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 ultimately, that's a, that's a kind of narrative that we want to gravitate towards because there the, are a lot of um, social and political consequences um, as a result in from uh, running a deficit. You know, because it calls for hard talk, it calls for hard decisions mm-hmm. um, across the board, and and the sooner the president um, bring all the stakeholders together and agreeing on a vision and the trade-offs associated with that vision, the better. Yeah. Well, very quickly, when Trevor Manuel was the Minister of Finance, there were a couple of years in which we actually ran a budget surplus, but there's nothing wrong in having a budget deficit as long as it's manageable. And worldwide, a budget deficit of the order of 3% or less is not bad because the money, if it's used to grow the economy in the correct way, can be to the benefit of all the citizens in the country. No, I think I think you very much, uh, and the um, um, Arnold. And I couldn't agree with you more that um, running a deficit is not necessarily bad. It's the, the proportion, it's Correct. the quantum. If the quantum is 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 as big as ours, and and we're not growing the economy, then we are, we are in a big problem. Because one of the challenging thing, things that um, not only the president but the, the country has to find a way out um, from SONA and and other avenues. For an example, it is um, funding of education. You know, um, and it is a huge, uh, uh, it's almost like an albatross around all our necks. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to find practical and not just short term approach, but more of a long term. 
because unfortunately we, we, we go to a place where we are appeasing mm-hmm. um, you know the student population uh, because because of, of whatever reason but it is it's not sustainable in my view until you grow the cake mm-hmm. um, in the economy that's growing at what give or take uh, the projection 1.5 in 2018 will barely sustain mm-hmm. the kind of um, investment we need to make in education. Yeah. Well, the hope is that with the efforts that Cyril and everyone else is putting in, we'll move closer to 2% per annum GDP growth. That will bring more money to spend on social purposes, on education, and all the other things which the country so sorely needs. Thank you very much, Arnold. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, surprised that, that you came across uh, as the person that I was definitely expecting. Thank you for gracing us. And I'm sure the listeners have thoroughly enjoyed your, your wisdom, your intellect on, on these very complex issues that are bedeviling us. And for all it's worth, um, whoever is listening, Arnold is available to advise, um, you know, because we, the reality is that we do need multiple of Arnold's around strategic positions to advise uh, because they, they, you, 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 you're able to offer practical and, and, and possibly viable solutions. Um, and on that score, thank you. Nimrod, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really hope that I added value to you and to your listeners. Thank you. You certainly did. Thank you very much. Sir. Until we meet again next week, it has been an absolute pleasure. Have a good one.